0: Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Blessing Place Wesley Chapel. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear. And we would love to see you at our gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org. You know, some of you guys know that um, I attended Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. It's north of Boston. And if you guys know that place, know that school, no, me, it was not my first choice, because it was cold. Like, my first year, my toilet froze solid. We had minus 15 for weeks, and that's the last thing I wanted to be in, in the environment. But the Lord called me there, and I said yes, mainly because they had two, two strong reputations. One, uh, they were Bible-believing school. We're talking there was no room for liberal theology. In fact, in their statement of faith, in their, uh, their core beliefs of that seminary, if they changed their statement of faith that deviated from the foundation of the word, they would have to give all their money back from whatever donation that has been given. That keeps them from being able to change any belief system. You know what I mean? And especially in Massachusetts, if you know... It's it has become very liberal. In fact, uh, Harvard was the very first seminary, first school that was established to train up pastors, and they were one of the first ones to turn liberal. And a lot of seminaries, a lot of schools across the co- country that trains up pastors have deviated away from the Word of God. The second was that this school had this great reputation. Bear with me. The music is on from the lobby. I'm going to start dancing. Yeah, so um, the school was well known to raising up preachers and pastors. I mean, like seminaries, they have their own specialty, but that particular uh, seminary had a reputation for raising up preachers. And it was all credited to uh, Dr. Haddon Robinson. I don't know if you've ever heard his name, but he used to have a radio broadcast. He was named uh, Times 25 best preacher of all time. Christianity Today Preaching Magazine recognized him as the top 10, 25 most influential preachers of the past 50 years. I mean, his credentials went endless. He was president of Denver Seminary. He was president of Gordon Conwell. He was... Like, endless. And he, he shared how, this was like his first introduction uh, of our preaching class. And I've never seen such an old man teach. <laughs> and it's not a bad way. He, he literally was the oldest professor I have ever seen. He was 84 years old at that time. He came out of retirement because he said... God has called him for a purpose to train up the next generation of preachers. And so even though he did not need to uh, give himself credit or more credentials more, or even pay, or I mean, he was so accomplished. If he just knew his background or knew his name, one of the most accomplished preachers of all time. He said that when he first was called and he was, wanted to learn the homiletics, the, the art of preaching or sermon preparation, there was no program. he, he I mean, it was going way back. He said there was uh, religion classes but, and there were public speaking classes, but there was nothing that tied the two for pre- preaching. So he wrote the book, literally, called Biblical Preaching. And his book is what is taught by... Most seminaries or uh, preaching classes, and if there are famous preachers out there, they have used this book and using that program to deviate to, to write their own books. But his book was set to standard because there was no homiletics course or expository preaching books until him. What got me and what he, what he said. Caught my attention in the very first class of that introduction. One, who are we to preach God's word? I mean, it, it, he just put that fear back into the position of preaching. But also, too, his heart, why he came out of retirement to teach that class. I mean, he had assistance to do all the work, but he taught because he said, Never in my life have I been so aware of my time on this earth. He's like, never has he been so aware of his finiteness. And God has called him, empowered him to not only be a great preacher, but to be a professor, teacher of preachers. Preachers of preachers and preachers for generations. He said, I came back because... That's what I'm called. That was my purpose. That's what God has been raising me all my life. And he came back to do that. And he said, I will maximize my time to teach you, to empower you. It, it, It touched my heart. It was such a privilege to be able to just hear him, not just read from his work, but to hear him teach his heart. Two years after that class, I had graduated, but two years after that very class, he had passed away at age 86. And he taught until he could not teach anymore. You know, people have different, people of age have different perspective on life. Um, Especially compared to, let's say, the younger people. Uh, My mother just celebrated her 90th birthday. And she talks about how she doesn't have much time left. I don't like hearing her talk like that. But she has a different perspective. And if you know you have very limited time on the earth, how would you spend it? What would you do differently than what would you do now? Because younger, younger people, uh, let me be frank, we have different perspective. Younger people feel like we have all the time in the world to do the things that we want to do, to accomplish the things. Can we lower it down? The highs are really high. To, and sometimes we may have, feel like we have so much time that we might delay. We may take breaks. We might detour, right? And go along without the urgency. Whereas someone like Dr. Robinson, knowing His finite number of days he said i will use it effectively for what god has purposed me called me to do we're continuing in the book of joshua and we get to a place where we see that joshua is no longer the young fighting soldier that he was right he's not young anymore um, he's been leading his nation, but he gets to a point where the Bible says he was very advanced in years. And we can see that he was, if we estimate academically, he was at least 100 years old at this time of chapter 13. And we have come to a place where Joshua recognizes time, God recognizes his time and puts a little push on the remaining days of what to do. I want us to consider, if we had limited time, would we live differently? Would you live differently? And I want to challenge to consider your destiny, your purpose on the earth. Do not wait until you're old. But consider today. Uh, I love um, Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. If you've read that book, it's good. Very practical habits of living well. And there was one exercise he, he talked about where imagine it's your funeral. What are people saying about you? There are, people are talking, giving eulogy, and they're talking about you. What are they saying? Do you like what they're saying? Or what would you like to see changed? And what he challenged the readers was that, have the end in mind, right? What would you like your life to be? What kind of testimony would your life be for people to say and talk about you of? And that's what I want you to consider. Consider your destiny. Consider your purpose. And so we're going to look at Joshua 13.1. Joshua 13.1. Now Joshua was old and advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, You are old and advanced in years, and there remains yet very much land to possess. You know, God reminds me of like a Korean mom. (laughs) And I say this jokingly, but it's true. Korean moms will say the most obvious things. Son, you're getting old. You better get married. Son, you put on some weight. You better lose some weight. It's like we know it, but sometimes our parents like to remind us the most obvious things, right? Okay. Sorry, Lord. That's a joke. All right. All right. So, by advanced 10 years, as I said, Joshua is about 100 years old, at least. 100, 103. We're, we're talking that. This is like, at this time in history, we're talking. About seven years has passed since uh, Joshua chapter 12. So Joshua 11, 12, I, I talked about a, little, a few weeks ago, how the reputation of the Israelites is just pressing through. I mean, they crossed the Jordan on dry ground. The, wall, the Lord stopped the rain. Miraculous, like, happenings. Walls of Jericho came crashing down because people worshiped. They shouted. They just paced. City after city, they are conquering. And now the, the Canaanites, the people who are living in that promised land, they're feeling the threat. They have heard the repetition. They have heard what the God, the Yahweh, has been doing upon the I- Israelites. And so, of course, in chapter 11, 12, and you see the kings rising up, conspiring, making alliance with one another to come against that one nation, or Israelites, to say, "Look, we're going to put a stop to it. Seven years have passed. Battle after battle, they have won. And then we arrive in chapter 13, where God is reminding Joshua, you're no spring chicken, right? The time is, you know, has arrived. And so he commissioned Joshua, reminding him what to do, what's left. And he says, you are old, advanced in years, and there remains very much land to possess. I'm making Pam work today. (laughs) So, Joshua 1, I mean, 13-1, God reminds him, you are old, advanced in years, there remains very much land to possess. And then from verse 2 to 6, I believe, the Lord just describes the territories and the people group that they are to conquer. Sorry, I, I don't, don't like this. Yeah. Do I sound okay, guys? Or you guys sound okay? Okay. Okay. So the Lord then describes the territory from the north, south, east, west. He's naming off the people group you are called to conquer. You are called to judge these people, right? And and so then gets to verse six and seven he says the Lord says I myself will drive them out from before the people of Israel only allot the land to Israel for an inheritance as I have commanded you now therefore divide this land for an inheritance to the nine tribes and half the tribe of Manasseh I think these second That one was the best one so far. All right, guys. We have replaced some of these mics, and we're still having problems. We even purchased a a case so that we don't bang them up anymore. We're trying. And so, um, gosh, where am I? Okay, verse 7. God says, now, therefore, verse 7, divide this land for an inheritance to the nine tribes and half-tribes of Manasseh. Why nine and a half tribes? Why not 12? Because there are 12 tribes. Well, two and a half tribes, if you remember, have already received Transjordan, across the river on the east side of the Jordan River, they have already received the inheritance. They have talked to Moses while they were in the desert and said, hey, Moses, we like this land. Do we really need to go across? And Moses said, okay, you can have that land. But you have to agree, you do not take that land until we cross over, fight with your brothers, fight with your cousins, right? And we are going to take the name, then you are able to come back. So the inheritance portions has already been allotted to that two and a half tribes. Now the nine and a half we come to, and God says, I want you to divide it. I want you to distribute it now. Now, why is this important? This land was not just talking about Real estate acquisition, okay? This is the promised land. I want you to know that that promised land was and represents the promise of God that he gave to Abraham, his servant, who decided in faith, I will amen to whatever you say, God. In fact, the entire Old Testament stems from Abraham and his faith and him saying yes. Yes he uprooted his family uprooted his wife uprooted whatever he had left his family left his land left everything that he knew because god called him told him to where i will show you you just have to go he surrendered himself everything just trusting what god would do and, and the whole old testament stems from what we now call abrahamic covenant where God promised to Abraham three things. One, that your people, your descendants will have a land of their own. You'll be landowners. Two, you will be made into a great nation. This is when Abraham couldn't even have a son. I'm gonna make a nation from you. And three, the promise of blessings. You will be my people and I will be your God. And I will bless you. The Lord was saying all these things. This promised land represents God's promise. Why is that important? Because God fulfills his promise even when his people don't. Even when his people are dragging their foot. Even when people are going on a detour, making decisions that are not what God wanted them to do. Even after all this time, God's saying, it's time. And I want you to distribute the land because that is your call and your purpose. And I want you to know that Joshua wasn't just called to lead the nation of Israel. He was called to distribute the, uh, the land. When God called him, he was like, I-, I want you to be the source of blessings. Have you ever given gifts? Well, of course, Christmas time. When you give gifts, isn't it a blessing to be a giver? I mean, it's good tonight to you know, receive good gift. Don't get me wrong. But I enjoy giving more than receiving And there's something a privilege to be able to give if you have the resource to be able to give and when god says joshua i'm going to give you the opportunity to be the blesser the giver the distributor of the inheritance of your brothers of your people and that was a privilege for joshua he he said that uh back in joshua 1 6 he said be strong and courageous if you remember that commissioning when. God called Joshua, because be strong and courageous. You shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers, to give them. So Joshua is fulfilling this promise. He's making real that God is faithful. That God is going to fulfill the promise even when his people were not. Now, God fulfills his promise. I want you to know that. If anything you get out of this, I want you to know that God is faithful, even mm-hmm. when we're not. God does not forget his promises. God does not forget our, his plan that he has set for us. Even if we forget, he doesn't forget. I don't know if, if you've ever been in a place where You heard a word, maybe somebody prophesied over you, or you heard it during praying, and God speaks to you, and and he encourages you, what, what tomorrow will bring. And it doesn't come out the way you expect. You go through life, you go through the journeys, and things unexpected happens, and you're like, God, but what about that promise that you gave me? You guys ever wondered about that? I want you to know that God doesn't forget. Because sometimes... It's like Joseph's life, Joseph's testimony. He saw a dream. He, he believes. He's been empowered. He's been given the special code and the privilege. He, he is, has that expectation that he's going to be raised up to be a mighty, great man who's going to lead his brothers, his family, and, and, and the nation, right? And, and he thinks he's going to be all that. And then his brothers reject him, sell him to be a slave. And Joseph, might wonder, what gives God? I thought this was going to be a different life. Worse, he gets accused of a crime he did not commit, finds himself in jail for years. It's like, God, this is not the life I expected. But God is faithful. He does not forget of his servant. He does not forget of his promises or his word that he has given at one point to say, this is who you are. This is where you're going. This is the life that I have set for you. Plans to bless you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. I want to tell you, remind you, God does not forget. And he keeps his promises. Even when sometimes we do. Even when people get distracted and fail to accomplish what God tells us to. Sometimes, just, you know, I look back when, I'm y- when I was young. Uh, I'm still young compared to some of you guys. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm kidding. I love you guys. I have utmost respect for you guys. But there is a different perspective I have now compared to 20 years ago. Our attitude sometimes has to be come into check because this world has taught us we can be distracted. Our smartphones have made us dumb. Um, If it's not for the smartphones, it's the tablets and our smart TVs. If it's not for those, then there's a speaker that talks to you, has a name, that's ready to answer anything that you ask it. There are things that will bombard us with information all day long and i I confess i think a lot i don't like to think a lot but i do think a lot so to shut me up i read and i listen i found myself being in a rabbit hole of looking up something and finding another thing that leads you to another thing and next thing i know it takes a reminder of somebody who's sane to say, like my wife, honey, that list is still available for you. You know, we got to get it accomplished. Or dad, aren't you supposed to be working? You know, it, there's some, it takes a good reminder from the outside to tell you we got something more important things to do. And this is sort of what God is doing. He's calling Joshua and his people. You don't have much time left. You're advanced in years. Now give Give away the land. Distribute because you're the source of the blessing that I have set aside. A couple of things for why God commanded Joshua to distribute the land. A couple of things. One, even after Joshua would be buried the Israelites, the people, would know their inheritance. They would know where their plot of land was supposed to be, where they were supposed to be headed. And if you know where you're headed, you know what steps you need to do. If you know who you need to conquer, overcome, you know what you need to strategize and what to do. You understand? It would no longer be on Joshua. It would be their responsibility. And to know the in sight they would have a clear goal what to accomplish. And two, the burden was off Joshua. If the Israelites did not get the land, it was on them. It wasn't on Joshua anymore. Right? And stories later, you're going to see many of the portions of the promised land was not conquered until King David came into play. That's many, many decades later and generations later. The burden was no longer on the judge or, like, leader like Joshua to lead the nation. It was now on the individual tribes to be able to accomplish their calling. And if they didn't get it, it was because of what they chose to do, not what their leader or what God had ordained. Okay. And that's good, right? So we can see that God gave and distributed the land according to the law. It's like throwing dice, but... Bones, and they realize, okay, this is what God wants you to give, and we'll, we'll look at some of that later of how God distributed land to what portions and and why, how that was fulfilling of the uh, prophecies. But I want us to consider then that was good for the Israelites, but what about for us? How do we have our end in sight, or to recognize our destiny or our purpose? And I can tell you that. My destiny, my purpose is different from yours. Because God God has made us different, every one of us, with different anointings, giftedness, personality. And we respond differently. But I want you to consider what your destiny is. Do you know your destiny? Do you know the plans that God has for you? Without knowing, you might deviate to the right or to the left, not knowing, wasting time, dragging your heel, or wondering, isn't this the life that God has prepared for me? I want you to know that what God has prepared for you is better than you think. What God thinks of you is better than you think. Consider Josh uh, Jeremiah one five Jeremiah one five. It says, God told to prophet Jeremiah. He says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I pointed you as a prophet to the nations. I want you to know that God, who is so big, the omnipotent, omnipresent, the Almighty God, who said, Let there be, and boom, there is. The water and the sea and everything else in between, right? The the stars in the sky. The Almighty God says, Jeremiah, I knew you before you were even formed in your mother's womb. That word for know is yada in not yada yada, but yada in Hebrew. I don't know why I said that. Yada in Hebrew, it's to know someone intimately. It's not an academic knowledge. It's not, oh, I know about or I understand that. It is knowing from personal, deep relationship. It, this word is often used for a husband and wife to know one another and often translated as consummation, intimate knowledge of one another. yara, Intimate relationship. And God was saying, God who created the heavens and the earth, the almighty God says, I knew you. Deeply. Not just Jeremiah, but that's the kind that we follow. He knows you. The number of hair on your head. He knows your thoughts before you see them. He knew you then. He knows you now. He is the faithful who has never forgotten you. That's the God that we worship. And he said this, Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. We can see that God knows us deeply, intimately. And he knew you before we were even a thought in our parents' mind. And says, I have a plan for you. Not to harm you or to get you into trouble. But to bless you, to prosper you, to give you plans of hope and a future. His plans are your destiny. His plans of blessings are your destiny, your purpose. Whether you know it or not, his plans are there for you. We need to pursue it. We need to ask of it. We need to run with it. When we come into agreement with God, that's when we get it. Often, we're doing our own thing. We treat God like a genie in the bottle and say, God, bless me in in my choice here. You know what that looks like? I wasn't going to talk about this, but this is good. The two and a half tribes on the Transjordan, on the east side of the Jordan River. They saw the land. They looked good. Moses, can we have this land? Right? Well, it looked good to them. But in history, in hindsight, we know that it wasn't a good choice. Even though it may have been fruitful land, they were the first one to be attacked by the Amorites, by the enemies, constantly. Because they did not have a river to protect them. They didn't have a security wall of dividing water that kept the enemies from the other side. you guys understand? This is what we do. We make choices thinking it looks good to our eyes without inquiring of the Lord. God, give me this as an inheritance. God says yes, but it's not good. We get attacked. And we wonder, why God? Well, I did have a set of land for you on the other side, a little bit better. But you chose that. You asked for it. And God says okay, because you asked for that. And we get distracted. And we wonder, God, where is your blessing? What did you ever ask him? your destiny, his plans for you. I want you to know that there are different types of people, in the, and obviously you, you may know this. There are different types of people. There are people, they see something they want, and they go get them. They don't wait. They, you don't have to say it twice. They want it, they see it, they like it, it's theirs. They go. They make it happen. That's what I was taught. Make it happen. Don't wait for others to give it to you. Make it happen. Then there are people who are like islanders. They're much more laid back. Floridians. If it happens, it happens. If I get it, I get it. If it's not, it's okay. You guys know those people? Right? Different types. Different attitudes. I'm not saying one's better than the other. But I do recognize that the first group sometimes see the response of the second group and don't know what to do with them because the first group gets so excited for what's before that and like don't you see that just get it and the other one's like it's all right man you know just go along and they're like how could you not get excited about that you know what i'm talking about I, i remember in the mid 90s going back. I I was in the stock market and I focused on tech stocks. And let me tell you, internet stocks was revolutionary during that time. Okay. In the 90s, like 486 computer cost several thousands of dollars and with mega, like 64 megabytes of RAM. Not gig. 64 megabits of RAM. And these things cost thousands of dollars of computer. Then, when the internet came around, people who got it got it. People who saw the future of what this could look like, they got excited. You understand? The Amazons. Okay. To just recap, in the mid '90s, America Online was like the one of the biggest tech companies. The dial-up was the era, and if you know dial-up, it was like the landline connected. Right, make all kinds of noise. It's dialing up, and then you're downloading one picture at a time with pixelated. you're just waiting for one picture. Okay, some of you older people know what I'm talking about. You younger people have no clue, okay? Cable speed and the T1 lines, the fast internet that we have today, that didn't come until, like, mid-90s. And even then, it was, like, ISDN speed. It wasn't, like, T1 it was crazy when that high speed internet started coming around the tech companies saw the future created business plans amazon netflix like ideas and people who got it who saw the vision of tomorrow they invested they jumped on it then there were other people on the who didn't get as excited they heard the pitch they heard about it they read about it they saw the promos but they're like i don't know it looked like a fad do you understand there are people who's going to be skeptical who's going to sit back i will jump in i will ride maybe i'll ride on the coattail maybe catch a ride hitchhike i don't know but they will go along later on if they like it but then those who were the pioneers who were the first ones who saw the visions who who came into agreement They're the ones who made money on it. To follow in God's plans at the earliest stages is to our detriment and blessings. I'm not saying you have to be type one or type two or anything of that. I'm just saying there are different responses of people. But the earlier you come into agreement with God, and to trust what He had to say will determine your blessings. I want you to know that there is, it's important to recognize God's plan for you. Recognize that He has plans to prosper you, to bless you, not to harm you, but to give you hope in the future. What is your destiny? What is God's purpose for you? It might be better than what you think. Let me remind you a couple of things because it's a good good to be reminded from an outside perspective of, so that we can be, we can recognize where we are and where we're headed. Ephesians 2.10, Apostle Paul says, we are God's workmanship, right? For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Okay, that workmanship, the word there, you guys probably already know this, is poema. Poema is where we get the word poem, artwork, poema. God says, you are my poetry. You are my work of art. The imagery is God's the painter, and he's drawing you up. He says, you are my work of art. Well, what's he drawing? What's the model? Jesus is the model. Okay? He is painting you artistically, creatively, beautifully. And he says, that's Jesus. I'm modeling you after Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the one who enables us to be like Jesus. But until Jesus was glorified, there was no perfect model. I, I want you to get that. So consider... Uh, Apostle John, St. John, however you say it. John, the one that Jesus loved. Okay. Consider John. John knew Jesus intimately, bragged in his writings. The one that Jesus loved. Okay. He was the most humble man, like Moses, right? Uh, (laughs) Who writes about himself and says all these things. He says, I'm the one Jesus loved. He knew Jesus on the earth intimately, And then later on, we know that he was taken up to heaven. Saw the glory, the heaven. See the vision. See Jesus glorified. He came and wrote the book of Revelations. We get the visions of the future, right? And and the prophecies. We also have the epistle letters of John. And this is what he said. So this John, who has seen Jesus on the earth... He has seen Jesus in the heaven, and he says this, uh, 1 John 4, 17, By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. Let's leave that up there. As he is, present tense, John's probably... 60 or 90 years old, depending on the estimates. He's old. He's seen Jesus on the earth. He's seen Jesus in heaven. Jesus is up in the heaven glorified when he's writing this. He said, as he is, who's he? Jesus is presently in heaven, so also are we in this world. Are we dead? No. His, to his writing audience. Are they dead? No. Why does the church believe that our glory will happen when we die? That our salvation is the ultimate, the end to all things for being a Christian? Do you understand what I'm talking about here? I'm telling you, the victory, your purpose, destiny is to be able to attain on the earth, presently, now, not when you die plan that God has for you is not for your death. The plan to prosper, to give you hope in the future, It's not for you to die and say, oh, I'm you'll be glorified in heaven. No. Everything that we read in the scripture is saying it's about you now living on the earth. And yeah, there's glory here. There will be glory there. Yeah. But it's not about your death. Do you understand that? As he is in glory, present tense, so are we. So, are you? Your glory, your destiny, your purpose is now. And it's available. You don't have to become a mature Christian to receive that glory. You have it now. Your identity as a sons and daughters of God with the inheritance, with a purpose, God knew you before you were even formed. You don't have to wait 20 years, 40 years, 60. You don't have to be in the 80s before you say, I'm going to fulfill God's purpose. Now. Are you guys hearing me, church? I don't care what age you are, whether you're 10, 20, 80, I don't care. Your purpose is now. As he is, so are we. And I want you to be encouraged. This should encourage you. This should empower you. This is better than you think you are. You are better than you think you are because God thinks the world of you. He says you're worth dying for. God's love for you is beyond your expectation. The gospel account of Jesus Christ is a full demonstration of how much he loves you. He said, I will not hold back anything to bless you. And the plan of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is that he came and he died so that we didn't have to. He came and he took upon him the curse of our sufferings and then he brought about restoration the that curse of the original sin in the and i talked about this uh last year the curse the original curse in in the adam adam and eve in the garden the suffering that was never god's plan you guys understand and when jesus died on that cross he says i will take up all the curse he lifted all of that burden from you which means you are not cursed. I don't know what you believe. You are blessed. God has restored your identity. He has restored the relationship, and he says, as he is, so are we. And I want you to know your destiny. Because if you know your destiny, if you know you're in, if you know your gift and needs and where God is calling you, then you know what to do. You know where you need to go. And you don't have to wait. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Blessing Place Wesley Chapel. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear. And we would love to see you at our gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org.